0: Starting in three, two, one. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Explicit Ventures Podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. We're ready to go. We got the uh, the gangs all back. I was just talking with Seth. I was like, man, it feels like a long week. I-, I woke up this morning like, is it Friday yet? Nope, not quite yet. I thought it was Friday yesterday. So that, that, that was how my week's going.
1: It's nice getting your headspace where it belongs after you know a, a, an extended break. Only four days in to go back to the same headspace <laughs> you were in before. Like, yes, no,
0: no. So I have some happy it's, news to report. I've been doing a little bit of testing. Um, I have been in the past. I've been very vocal about how much I did not like uh, the deployment pipelines in Power BI Premium. I have to kind of walk back on that a little bit now and say. The uh, deployment pipelines are great. I really like them now. There's a lot of things that have been resolved. They seem to be working as expected for me right now. Um, I haven't done full extensive testing on them, but in my initial runs, <coughs> it looks pretty solid. So in that, in that, so let me, let me paint you guys a picture real quick. I think we've talked about this before, but I want to just paint a picture here for the audience just to kind of make sure that we understand, like here's a, a scenario that I've had problems with. We have a data model. The data model is quite large. And it takes quite a while for it to load things from the backend services, right? You've got uh, months of data where there's five, six million records per month, right? So you have a lot of records per month. And what we're looking at is, when you load that data model or when you make a change to the PBAX file and publish to the PowerBI.com service, it becomes quite time consuming, right? To say the least, I guess. You can't just hit refresh in the model and let it go. Something will time out. Power BI.com will time out in two hours. If you go from SSMS, it will time out in five hours. So you need something faster to load all that data. So what you turn on is you turn on incremental refresh. Well, great. You can push the model up, you can make all the partitions, and then you can incrementally refresh portions of those partitions um, with SSMS, other tooling, external tools. Great. And this is this is, again, only on premium. The challenge becomes you don't wanna take down your production model for a long period of time, especially if you're making changes to it. So you need this area where you can like stage the changes and then quickly swap over to the main model. So I found a technique that seems to be working for me right now, where you take a data model, you put it in a deployment pipeline. In the deployment pipeline, you load everything into the test environment, the, the reports, the model, everything that you need, refresh the model there, and you can do that slowly over time throughout the workday, and then what you can do, it, it, you hook up the Azure Azure Blob Storage connection to workspaces. And so what will happen is when you do this, it allows you to do two things. If you have data flows, uh, it will capture the data flow details. I think or the data flow um, uh, uh, CSV files that come out of the data flows, and then um, on the um, in the The blob storage portion, it makes a folder called Power BI backups. And so what this allows you to do is you can go into the XMLA endpoint, right click on the data model and say backup. And what it will do is it'll make an ABF file. That ABF file is then immediately backed up and all the partitions, all the data inside it, it's compressed in its compressed form. It'll just save it really quick. So I was able to go out there, save my backup file of the model then procedurally, I went back to deployment pipelines, updated my model from test to prod, and then was able to go back into the backend and restore from backup. So you can actually move those ABF files around. So I moved it from um, the folder for test in the folder to the folder that was for prod, overwrote the prod backup, and then restored from backup from the prod environment. Super fast. It worked in like a couple minutes. Uh, to reload all the
1: data and everything was up to up to speed so isn't pr- this pretty slick isn't so uh, a couple things in here did did you mention management studio because that's where you're doing your backup and restore right
0: yep yep everything all the you so, can't do the desktop and powerbay.com does not give you the
1: option to do backup. Right. it has right. to be in sql server do, management studio do i need deployment pipelines or are you just describing um i like the idea of restore
0: well so i'm i was just backup restore. i don't think you need the deployment pipeline to do that um i did like the separation of the different data models so my data model is the same model named the same in both environments so i basically i can i can do all my work in the test environment i like that kind of as a general principle because i've got other reports we're going to do we're going to make changes to models we're going to do lots of things for changes the deployment pipeline tells me which files are different very easily. So it's, it gives me a very clean doesn't tell me what changed. It just tells me that it did change. It would be up to me to figure out what changed.
1: <clears throat> have you have um were you just testing the data set itself or were you replacing it where reports were tied to the data set in the workspace? Model and thin reports. So that that was the other part that I really liked about this too is So so replacing or restoring that that model of the same name via SSMS into a different workspace automatically rebound re reconnected it to to those reports. See that that's that was a lot that was good news because I still am stuck Yep. In that restore part, because I got that bizarre error, but you know, yeah. talked about that. So We've that's, talked about that's that cool, one. man. That's cool. So
0: I'm going to try if, if I can get my um, if this week doesn't go on forever. Um, I'll hopefully be able to go come back and do a little uh, demo or a video of how you would execute on this um, on a YouTube video to kind of show backup and restore across workspaces yeah. in a deployment pipeline, which I think is going to be very helpful for people.
1: The other the other amazing thing now that you got that restore path to work right is i knew the backup was super fast but you your description i think is that the restore is also really fast it was pretty quick yeah it was it was fast that's that's i mean we're talking like it's gonna be super helpful because like where where that is very applicable right is it it makes sense to get this up and running because you you basically remove the not so fun part about Really large models. In that, yep. if you're refreshing those, that's a nightly task or a weekend task. Yes, right. Whereas yes. typically, us BI folks don't like to be like, you know, uh, on the hook in the off hours. And this kind of pushed us in that direction where we yeah. had to because there was no other way. So yeah. I'm this, excited about that. This man. allows That'll you to cool. stage a model during work hours
0: and kind of yeah. prep it yeah. before you're done, and at the very last second, switch it over so you can do your switch over
1: like at you know five six p.m. And then and what you're describing is test it too, right? Yes. So you'd have, yeah. you'd have that in your test environment, you could validate against the test reports, and then just do a backup restore into the other workspace and it just works. As a as a random tidbit of
0: information, I also went down a slight rabbit hole to get to this answer. Um, the, the, the rabbit hole was, what happens when you have Power BI reports syncing from OneDrive, and can you break that OneDrive connection such that you can start using deployment pipelines? The answer is no. As soon as you sync something from OneDrive, that file forever shall be linked to OneDrive. And I am not aware of anything that I have done that will allow you to break or sever that connection so you can deploy from desktop back into the service. It will not do it. And so even, even the deployment pipelines obey this rule or whatever it is. So if you have a production workspace and you attach a production workspace where files are being published from SharePoint or OneDrive, when you go when you reverse deploy to test, it copies that property over with the files. You can't overwrite it for whatever reason. So I don't know. I got to do a little more testing really? around, like, what's what with is... the SharePoint OneDrive thing, but it, it locks you down hard.
1: I was I was never a fan of that. Method. <laughs> but, like, you're saying, like, would be? have you tried, like, switching that that data set in, in report into a large data set? Because that should sever. Because uh... once you flip into a large data set or... Enable XML endpoint. Yep. Right, you can't you can't download it anymore. Right, uh, so you correct data models. Correct, yeah, reports and stuff like that. Yeah, correct. Yes. So I wonder if that would break it though, because I, then I I'm pretty sure I was already on. Because you're one. note, you're you're talking about connection where you're like yeah. I have a PBX, I can make a yep. modification, and then and it, it automatically syncs itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because right? previously then... you
0: could just overwrite it. You would just publish from desktop, and you would overwrite that property, and it would just overwrite it. and Be done. <laughs> the, search, the search for how to break that connection. <laughs> well, I I I like the idea that it blocks you from desktop. So what? Ha- so let me explain something else here while we're we're kind of doing this. The desktop, right? if you have a Power BI file in desktop and you put it in OneDrive and then synchronize it there, you can then easily kind of manage like getting files to OneDrive and then Microsoft will automatically detect that file changes and then update the contents of that file into the the service, which is kind of nice. It's kind of a a bit of an automated deploy. I can work on things on my desktop. Steve Campbell's um, Power BI version control tool uh, with Power Apps works really well because then you could synchronize kind of here is the production folder. This is where the data comes from for live reports. You can do all you want in checking things in and out, all the kind of other fun stuff. The downside of this now is um, you are now locked into that method, and there's no way to sever that connection from what I'm aware of. So, anyways, interesting stuff. Lots of things to think about. That is that have... the
2: next user group?
0: Uh, which one? Yeah. <laughs> Publishing <laughs> from SharePoint or, or uh, doing the backup and restore?
2: I think, the, I think it's the whole workflow. I've, the The idea with Azure and the backup is really interesting. I know there's a few pieces of content out there, but I don't think people know the real benefits of it.
0: Exactly. And I, I this it's newer though, right? There's a whole bunch of, you know, the whole partitioning thing, models are getting a lot larger. People are yeah. having to do incremental refresh. And I think that the team at Microsoft is putting a lot more features around how to manage these partitions. I think right. it's a great idea. I, I love where they're going with this. It really makes it, Uh, usable for a large cloud platform and it helps me mitigate costs right when i get into power bi premium i have a fixed cost other platforms and i've been playing with google cloud platform have this varying cost every time you query the data set it costs you money so you have to really build your data set in a way the google cloud platform is very cool it does interesting things but it doesn't charge you by a a cluster or compute. It charges you by how much data it has to touch to get you your answer, which is really interesting. It's a very different way of thinking about how to optimize your queries against data. Anyways, I digress. Good morning, guys. What's our topic for today? Good morning. (laughs)
1: It's a good good lead-in. Oh, man. I thought so. So
2: Let's let's completely go off topic let's go. on the technical side. Let's get rid of the topic technical Man.
0: side. Let's talk some fluffy stuff.
2: Man, you can fluffy tell stuff. that Mike is pumped about deployment pipelines.
0: Well, this is one of these things. If I don't document it, if I don't video it, I forget it. This is this is part of the reasons why I do all the blogging and the videos and it, like I forget what I did like six months from now. I don't work in deployment pipelines all the time. Well, maybe I will be now, but anyways. Today's topic. Well,
2: Let's get into it then.
0: Know your audiences.
2: So completely separate from all the configuration you have to do with deployment pipelines or the technical side. Unfortunately, most users who are viewing reports or you're helping build don't care at all about deployment uh, pipelines. They do when so,
0: they, they do when it breaks, and you have all your date calendars in the wrong don't. wrong month. They still don't.
2: Uh, all updated now. <laughs> it did take a little. while. <laughs> it did take a little longer than I thought but uh of course. We we're able to get it. But I the biggest thing that we wanted to talk about today and an uh, idea that we had was obviously we've talked about the process on building reports where we have you know the scoping, discovery, yep. the feedback and I know we've touched on this a few times but the thing is there's a lot there's a lot of wide range of spectrum of people who are going to be working with you on building that report and the importance of really knowing who you're speaking to from asking the questions and then what you show them can be pivotal in terms of the success of the report. And uh, the more I thought about this, the more I, 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 have some interesting thoughts, but, um, I mean, you
0: always have interesting thoughts. It,
2: they're, they're just interesting. They're but just thoughts. They're it just was, thoughts. Well, it, there's a few philosophical, it doesn't go anywhere thoughts, but, uh, I think let's just kind of start there when in terms of your experience with audience like the different people yes that you've worked with and uh what that spectrum looks like
0: so let's define some of like audience in my mind i think of two parts two two groups of people that i can think of audience audience being um the people that i'm working with to build the reports with or potentially the audience of the people consuming the reports the end consumer of said reports which kind of audience were you thinking for tommy what's in your mind what audiences are you kind of honing in on here
2: so i think there's more than three but you could probably bucket the people that you work with into kind of three at least categories i think there's the person who just is comfortable with data. They're coming from Excel. They just want something upgraded so they can they can pretty much get a better handle on what's going on with Power BI if it's their first time. But they generally know the like uh, kind of the flow. They're not overwhelmed by data. Then you have people who, they have a request who come in and they don't know how anything works in Power BI, but they're in a sense still more comfortable with data. And I think the last one that I think we don't realize until it's too late is people that as soon as you start talking about metrics and logic and business rules, there's an uh, absolute overwhelmness by that person where they check out. And those are the hardest people to, again, start building a report. And, and again, all of these, you kind of don't know the uh, person's tendencies until you, know, you start working with them. Yep. But I think there are some telltale signs, but yeah. I mean, what do you guys, uh, what have you guys seen?
0: I think those audiences describe it fairly well. We have an Excel user, which I would call it from the business team. I think I agree with that one a lot. Um, I would, the, there's another, there's another group. Maybe it's a, it's a separate group. I don't know, Seth, maybe you'd throw these people in the same group. There's like a sequel level group. Cause I think when I talk about people or audiences that I build reports with or for or around. Excel users are more used to looking at the individual cells of vi- of visuals, individual cells of information. And then there's a SQL user who's more interested in like, well, what's the view doing? So I think I think maybe I would buckle those bucket those two people together. They're they're comfortable with data.
1: What do you think, Seth? I'm going to I I I think I think we're touching on I am going to wrap this my head around the the full suite here. I think we're touching on different pieces. I like yeah. I like your initial high levels, Mike. You've you've kind of co-workers yep. la- or consumers, more consumers of reports. Yeah. I think Tommy, you have some nuance in here that I'd love to explore a little further with the overwhelmed individual versus somebody who's used to you know working with data. But in the realm of consumers, I I my breakdown kind of starts with like the lay user. Like this is somebody who just looks at the page and knows nothing about underneath, yeah. you know, yep. like not being negative, but it's typically like sales and marketing. Like they their focuses are other and external and, you know, they're they're the base level of right. I understand what data is and how it moves through systems, et cetera. Then you have, I think, the Excel user or information worker, right? That that is used to making business decisions. They they excels their 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 gig and um, they may take that to a more advanced level, but it could be also somewhat rudimentary. And then I think, Mike, to your point, I think you have the analyst or the data worker, right, who has some of the capability to uh, understand how to query larger data sets, like pull their own pr- pull their own information out of systems if they need to, etc. And then we move into kind of manager, director level, like mid level management, and then executives. And, and I think. I think as far as like audiences are concerned those break down for me because there there are large enough differences with how i would interact with them that would change the type of conversation i would have agreed
0: and and i think it also i like the breakdown of those i i'm taking some notes here on this too i'm thinking you know the person who's used to consuming data right that the uh, the teams that are—I'm not—I'm not the individual who go out who will go out and build the report. I know what I want to see. I know what needs to be on the mm-hmm. report page, and I feel like th- those are individuals that are, you know, we have different degrees of people of understanding of data, and I really like this idea that you talked about the information worker. That seems very comfortable to me because that person is, well, whether they're heavily SQL or more IT in nature, or they're heavily Excel or maybe business side front front facing. I think I see the trend right now where a lot more information workers who have been traditionally Excel individuals are moving more towards SQL and learning these other languages. Uh, I teach some classes at the University of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they have a whole class for continuing education around (coughs) SQL. So there are SQL teams or or information teams that are working on um, being able to grab that information and leverage it into actionable I think I think it's a skill set that's becoming more common right it's it's becoming less of a this has to be learned in IT and more and more people I think are becoming comfortable with learning that
2: information well I kind of think we're missing a whole subset of people because we're talking about Excel we're talking about SQL and people in that that space but I think the people that are requesting the reports usually and I think the hardest one to kind of um work with or collaborate is Usually someone from either in the management role, leadership, someone who has kind of always been fed data, now we have to transfer to a completely new way of, you know, uh, looking at their numbers, so to speak. Before, it might have been like a website, like a, a Salesforce, just a dashboard that they already had pre-configured, they didn't have to worry about it. If we go into that conversation where they're like, hey, we have Power BI, we need a report that does this, and you go into that going, okay, so what's you know, let's define the business rules. Uh, what are we pulling from? They have no idea what goes on on the back end. And I think that's a majority. Oh, I don't want to say the majority, but a good amount of the people requesting reports may not have any idea like what the back end does. And so they shouldn't are,
0: they shouldn't no. technically need to, right? There's a, th- That's why there is a team of people in the BI team to manage and own that for them. So I don't see them being... I don't see them ha- having a need to to need to know how to like that's your job. I think the conversation for those individuals should be around what do you need to see? What action, what what decisions are you taking off of that action? You have to bring it up so to your point Tommy, right? Right. There's people that understand the data path, the the data lineage. There's people in that you're going to be asking requests for reports. And I think we're I think you're saying something slightly different Tommy. You're ta- yeah. you're everything you're your world right now is, or what you're, I feel like you're speaking towards is, this is, I'm getting tickets to ask for reports and or data. And I think Seth and I are approaching this from a, we are not getting tickets necessarily. It's more of a, we have data and we're talking with individuals about, hey, what reports do we need to make this thing successful? And maybe Seth, you are getting tickets, but I mean, most of my conversation is not ticket based at this point. Most of my conversation is, hey, I've got this huge pool of data what do we do with it? And so I had to like sift through this really weird, you know, nebulous cloud of like, here's a bunch of stuff. How do we how do we help you out? And again, I know that's just very custom for what I do because I'm I'm coming into organizations and doing a lot of net new builds. You guys are in places where they're kind of established a little bit. You're, you're you've already got Power BI there. There's already data kind of in your
2: environment. But even then, there's always going to be the disconnect of. The business terminology and the understanding and what's actually in the database and unfortunately this happens more often than i would like but but it's the idea where there's a whole conversation happening in the department saying we you know we need to see uh you know our our top accounts and it's like well that's never been defined so how are we going to define top accounts well that that that
0: also, I think, is a different point. I think that what you're talking to there is what I would call maybe more of like the data maturity, right? Mm-hmm. If someone, uh, excuse me, if, if people at the higher levels are asking for, I need this kind of metric, and no one's defined what that means, there's not a common understanding of what that. That's That's different than, I think, the report pieces. That's just being able to understand what the requirement is.
2: But I guess even then, though, it's, our, it's our job then to translate that technical back end yes. and try to build that uh, yeah, data 100%. model. Yeah. So, and again, there are some people that as soon as you start talking about. You don't talk about it.
0: You don't need to. You can say I can do it or I can't do it. They don't need to understand all the in, the, the details of all the tables and how the relationships work. You just need to understand what is the essence of their calculation and
1: how to how do you validate that it's true or not. I want to like tommy go continue on the path though i want to hear like what your challenge is when you're engaging with those those users right now like i want to hear that conversation yeah it
2: so it's it's some requirement that's coming from their department and some initiative we need to see our our total number of books sold right sure and like okay, yeah, we can build a report. So, and based on our, our, you know, our corporate accounts. Okay, sure. Great. So obviously the first part what we do is that in a sense configuration. Okay. So what's our scope? Is it this year, last year? And, you know, if you already, and I guess part of this too, goes into our governance side, We, if you really haven't defined what a book is or the pieces of content in an organization, it's going to be pretty hard to do this. Yep and then it's basically like okay how do you want to the question even like how do you want to see the data right so they're like well we just want to see the top accounts okay we can do that but if you avoid asking some of the questions on like what are the insights what features do you want you can build a very static report that probably doesn't do it justice or you can try to begin to ask like hey do you need drill through well if they've and if they've never heard a drill through, or they're you know overwhelmed, then they might not want, or they might not be thinking about all those advanced features that may actually help them in their report. Mm.
0: Like, okay, I think I see where you're coming from a little yeah. bit. keep going. Right. So something wants to hear more, <laughs> so he can rip you apart.
2: <laughs> I'm not ripping. <laughs> wow, that's how you view me, huh, guys. <laughs> yeah,
1: keep going. Keep going. It's just gonna kill me. <laughs> no, no, up. not at all
2: i'm setting up but even that those questions of you know um trying to in a sense define it down like so our top accounts for this year we um how do we want to view the data they may not have any idea you can either go one or two ways in this and i think what happens is again walking very or uh, walking on eggshells is you can start building something and try to in a sense throw spaghetti on the wall but then they will be overwhelmed even if you tell them, hey, this is something we're completely testing. This is just the sandbox. But that's already too much for them. The other side of that is you start going to like, do you want to see it by country? What are the you know dimensions you want to see this by? How do you want to uh, group it or in a sense segment it? Even those types of questions for someone, again, who may be used to a uh platform that again just shows them their dashboard they don't have to think about they might not know or if they do give you an answer it might not be actually the right the best thing so is trying to uh fish out or fetch out things that are actually going to be helpful for them because again outside even uh a user just being overwhelmed if they don't know the answers because they're again just used to something already being pre-populated that report's not going to be useful for them. And I think that's kind of the biggest part of this that I started thinking about way too uh, late last night staying up, but we can build something and avoid someone being frustrated with the process, but that might not be a report that they're actually going to find useful because it's not, you know, it it's just very static, so to speak. So I don't know if that makes sense or if I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, no, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Right.
1: But, the, the 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 there are some key things that you're saying that I think we hope to solve in this conversation around the fact that in an ideal state, the whole point of knowing your audience or this topic in my mind is is so we don't get into a, um, a method of throwing spaghetti against the wall. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. I agree with this. And and if I'm if I'm going to consolidate, you know, the nugget that I'm I'm initially looking at when I go across these groups and why I broke them out the way I did was because how I approach conversations with those those folks y- y- you could you could say in a, a, a term like I dumb down my my language right or yep. I break sim- it sim- all the sim- way down simplify to, it to a point where I'm not intimidating the end user with the words I'm using. And I, I I am consistently working with my team to um on, on this because the minute you start talking about the technical things of or structures that we're used to in in the background, especially with Power BI models, dimensions, uh, filter context, yeah. uh, measure, yep. That like yeah. you say one of these things to the lay user and they freak out. And they'll instantly turn off and be like, "Uh, what is Tommy saying?" I don't, uh, you know, and and realistically, all you as a report author are trying to do is convey something yep. that you're used to using in your normal everyday language yeah. that you can't use with those audience people. And Just, I guess
0: I gonna if say, I'm gonna yeah go ahead. I was gonna say this is why my wife says the podcast is like totally boring to her because we use words that she's like <laughs> I don't even know what these things are defined as. She she knows I say the word Power BI data models she she'll she'll randomly throw out words like data lake how's the data lake today like <laughs> like those kind of things because she hears me say these buzzwords but doesn't really understand context of like she doesn't use them every day. She doesn't understand like what's going on there. But to your point, Seth, I mean I want to, you know, reiterate your point. People don't understand the lingo that we use inside our program. They understand calculations and sums and aggregations. So we have to like change how we talk a little bit there.
1: And it, so, so, to, so to take this a step further, right? So like, depending on these levels, Tommy, right? The, it, it is fundamental that we know the definitions of things, right? Yeah. So if, if they're saying, I want to know the total number of books sold, you know, as, as you're going through this process of engaging with the audience, like having that definition and walking through like, Hey, uh, so when you say the the, the number of books, are, are we talking about, you know, this thing and this is, you know, what, what 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 you're recommending or is it you know this, right? Because you're thinking like we're in a unique position more often than not, because we know the source systems, we know how that data is stored, we know what's capable yeah. in terms of being a metric that we can pull forward. And we're the liaison between that raw storage of data in some frame and what the business needs are. And there a lot of times there's a, a layer of like, we have to transform the data in a certain way or group it together or whatnot. But that initial framework of like, let's make sure we're on the same page of like the metrics you want in your report is is a great starting point. But I think the the one point I stress, and maybe we talked a, a bit about audience in you know our process podcast a while ago, is the most important thing to me when you're talking to any audience is um, empathy. Have those people give you a picture of a day in the life of me, the information worker, and why this report is useful to me. And what are the decisions I'm going to be making based on the information that you provide to me. And in some cases, like the information worker, that might be the easiest report because it's like, well, I, we need to see the raw data of all of the sales records, dump it out in a, you know, dump it out in a paginated report, right? Like, because right. we need to see all of these granular pieces of data. I don't need anything fancy. The reason we're doing this is because our group does blah, 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 right? Versus... Um, an analyst or data worker or manager where you're having to pre-aggregate a bunch of stuff and and they're like well you know in my day-to-day job i run through this massive excel process and then i you know transform the data and i group it by this and i do all these things and those are the fun ones because you you have a, a really large opportunities to streamline business process and just give them the single metric like you wanted to know this thing and this is what you're making your decision off of And that's what's the key importance. And when you put yourself in their position, that also can drive like how they're going to utilize the report page and kind of key you into what what are the dimensions they want? What are the slicers? What are the filters? What are the things that they're gonna, you know, easily parse their data or want to, to sink down by and give you a lot of keys to answer the questions that you're describing? Which is you know, I don't want to throw some I want to build something useful. I don't want to throw spaghetti against the wall. I don't want to frustrate right. my end user. And if we start with putting ourselves in their position, they may not be able to answer. and typically, I think a a bad question is, you know, how do you want to see the data? <laughs> We're like, I don't know, man. like <laughs> like I, I do i I do think there's like a little bit of like
0: you, there's a there's a there's an area of give them what they want and then think like take what their needs are to Seth's point interpret right. what they th- what you hear them saying right cuz they're going to say like i they're going to get like most of the story right about what they want so hey i want to i, I want to see the, lo- the list of the top 10 customers great give them a little short list of here's the top 10 right but in your mind you're thinking well actually if i take the top 10 well i might want to also see the bottom 10 so maybe I should show them like a side by side. Here's the top ten. Here's the bottom ten, or here's. And then you think, okay, in your mind, you take you take their their analytic, and you look a little bit beyond it. Okay, well, the top selling customers really isn't important to me, right? It's the it's the top customers that change the most, right? What was the percent change over a period of time this year versus last year, something like that, right? Which which are the top gainers? Which are the top losers? Right. And you and you you kind of take their requirement and give a little bit of extra. You don't have to always give it to them in the meeting initially, but then you come back and say, Okay, here's your here's what you wanted. Here's your top ten. I made another page here with some other examples of some visuals that you may want that may help you with your analysis here. Here's the top ten, here's the bottom ten. Here's the top most improved customers based on percentage or volume. Here's the top here's the Here's the ones that reduced the most volume. So maybe you give them a couple extra options, right? Because I think we only know what we know, right? We haven't been exposed to all the different situations where we need to build insights and visuals as we have. So it's our job to kind of bring bring to them their initial idea, but then also enhance it with a couple other visuals that maybe make sense to them. I don't know, thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. And I I think the the biggest thing in terms of trying to find success across um, the spectrum of the different audiences is something that you've done, Mike, or you've talked about, but is starting from something where people aren't thinking about data or a report, so to speak. Um, I actually just tried this out on on a few uh, different team calls to talk about the next year. And, you know, when And this was basically a group of anywhere from 10 to 20 uh, people on the call all talking about what they wanted to see for reporting for 2022. So obviously that's a pretty big balance, a pretty big uh, um, take. And there are people there who view Power BI all the time. There are people who are like, oh, I sometimes use it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's instead of, go, and I think the, I used to have the problem of trying to translate everything into a report. Like, okay, what kind of report do you want? You want analytical so one of the questions in, that i start off with is we're let's uh take a back seat from talking about data reports features all that stuff is that i that ideal state um and very specific question that i asked that so far i've seen it receive across the different audiences but is let's say in a year from now you know uh we had a million dollars for just your team and you your team couldn't be happier with uh you know like what power bi or what report you you have like we're high-fiving why would that be kind of thing and just taking that ideal stage so because they might not know necessarily what's possible and they're not going to say oh because i have a bar chart usually they're actually going to go into okay what would be something successful for me why would i be happy with you know a year from now it's oh, well, I would be able to see my customers this way. So they're not talking about it in a, from a report, um, kind of like a reporting spectrum, because I think a lot of times people go, okay, I'm meeting with the BI team, so I have to talk about data and visualizations. No, when people coming to us is, if you're trying to see, you know, what can we float to the top? What And what can we help you do? So... Th- let's get out of that, um, box or let's get out of that bubble of just visuals and talk about a year from now, we are successful. Why? Because we built everything you did and just getting people to begin to talk. And then for us as the, um, as the creators, then we can begin to understand, okay, I can see what that means. And I was obviously writing it down, but, uh, I find it funny because, We've done these types of calls where we're saying, you know, imagine you had ten uh, uh, bi people that were working on your report for a whole year, and yeah, you're basically put- saying, no holes barred. Yeah.
0: Give me, give me the ideal solution, so you can right. start teasing out like, what, what do we have? What is, what, where are the gaps in our current solution? Right. You're, you're trying to right. say, in an ideal state, give me some. Well, yeah. Do do you do anything around Tommy? Like, this looks like a brainstorm session, though, to me.
2: Yeah, but it's, I think it's just how you frame it because you could say, show me the insights, but, and I know that you've done that too, but I think even the word insights, right? So when you say like- Well, oh, I'll, I I'll also
0: I'll explain it like this. Tell me what you need to see so you can take action. That's a, that's another way I'll I'll describe it. And I think that also resonates really well. Like, and, and what I'll do is when people ask me or we draw up on a whiteboard or we draw on a table or- you know, I'll I'll do whiteboarding a lot with people. And then we'll just doodle on things and figure out like, hey, this is what we think we're going to be building. And then what I'll do is I'll question back to them is like, what action do you take <laughs> off of this chart? What action do you take off of this? Because I, I kick the, the the that part back to them. And when I do that, I think it really helps people think about well, that's not really important, right? I have this really large like my action is export it to Excel and do some other analysis. Well, okay, then we're not there yet, right? We haven't got the right amount of data to this table to do your analysis here.
1: I I want to I want to draw into this conversation though uh, one of the things that that might be creating challenges for Tommy for you or or many people when we have these conversations. If you, I have a tendency, and I call myself a conversation killer, because. As a meeting is occurring or after, as we're talking about a topic, I will, I will formulate a bunch of thoughts around this broad spectrum of a topic. And when I start, you know, providing my insight or, you know, my opinion, whatever, I'll cover so much ground that by the end of it, there's not much to say, like, where, where, how does somebody come back with like interjecting at what point they want to, to discuss something further. Right. And I think we tend to do that in our initial conversations, because if we're talking to an audience that wants a report or needs a report, and we're saying, what is the end state of this thing? And they don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know. Like maybe, like maybe the focus is let's make sure we do bite sized chunks here. Let's focus on the immediate problem. Let's solve the problem that you have and ask these questions. And to Mike's point earlier, right like it if we if we view all of these things as iterative, mm-hmm. what is the immediate problem we're trying to solve? What is the business problem we're trying to solve? and what is the best way for us to solve that? And we have this translation of like what they need and we it, it's our job to, Translate how they're saying things into um, visuals that might be helpful for them, like over time, or you know, are we going to use a bar chart? Are we going to use a line graph? Are we going to just give them a table? Like we should be doing that on our own, and then outline for them what that first looks like. And maybe the first pass is, hey, this report solves this problem for you, right? And you give them a baseline of even if this is whiteboard, right? You're iteratively walking, this page, well, like, like watch. Like I think if we did this and then we added this, like, this would allow you to do these things and just describe the interaction of the page. Then they're with you, right? Then they have in their mind's eye, like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about, like, how these things would work on the page, what information would be shown. Now I'm with you, Tommy. And whether it's in that first conversation, to take it to the next step right away right. is is dependent, I think, on group. But then you can be like, okay, so if this is the baseline and we're answering your problem right away with this information, off the top of my head, for future iteration, we could do something like this. Or here's the insight we could provide because Power BI has this this mechanism that you can right click on this row and then we could show you like the history of this book sale over the last six months, because I, I, I'm hearing you keep saying that a lot, that that's important to understand on a book by book level, you know, how, how that performance has been. And this is a really easy way for us to provide that information to you. And you just described drill through without saying drill through, right, right? How many other things do we know as professionals in, you know, power BI or, you know, business intelligence that would enhance a solution? That we've already brought them to that first framework of and saying, hey, here's your here's what you get. Like, you're good to go. Now we can talk about these other things. And I'll do that in a a, a different levels to, you know, kind of maybe iterate on on the report that they they want. Are you guys watching the YouTube chat
0: at all by chance? Too busy talking. man. I know you guys are talking. (laughs) So there are some amazing comments. I just want to pay a little bit of comment. What you're saying right there, I think dovetails very well in what people are chatting out in the in the chat window here. Uh, Mark says, uh, in in his meetings, he intends to go with this this question. We've talked about like what are these to define the insight, right? So maybe saying the words define the insight, people won't know what that means. And then I, you know, I I communicated, hey, you know, what does it mean to take action on this, or how does this chart drive for action? Is how I would say it. And then uh, Mark says. What is the argument you want to win? I really liked that statement Mm. because as I think about it, and this is is going to be Tommy for the philosophical side of things, right? All these reports, everything we're doing, we're trying to make data-based decisions. So we're either going to go left or we're going to go right based on some information, right? Do we increase the marketing budget or do we decrease the marketing budget? Do we hire more people or do we reduce size in our company because of, you know, not enough sales, right? There's decision points. We're trying to argue a point one way or the other, and we're trying to use the data to decide the outcome of that argument or make an educated decision. This makes a lot of sense to me. Talk to me about what kind of arguments are we trying to resolve here with this information? You, and this is where my, my engineering background comes to this. I love this whole idea of like, propose a hypothesis, find data to support it, and if it either it says it's true or not. So I I love that scientific kind of experience around using data to make decisions because it it fits very well with that, you know, I think we should spend more marketing budget because of why, right? And then I go look at the data and say, oh, yeah, every time we spend another $10,000, we're able to get another $50,000 in sales. Yeah, let's try try another experiment of I have a hypothesis. If we spend more in marketing, we're going to get more in sales. You do that, and then you come back to the data after the fact and say, "Okay, we spent the additional money. How much more return in sales did we get? Did we hit a diminishing returns?" Anyways, I I, I thought that was a really good point there. There's a lot of other great talk around um, how to handle these these scenarios inside organizations.
2: And I think we're we're, we're all trying to say. I think even regardless to the uh, technical user who knows the data and they want to start building their own reports to someone who um, is still overwhelmed by a bar chart. If they click on a, you know, when they click on a data point, everything filters, then they have no idea why. Um, I think the biggest thing is I think framing it that way where you can get into the report and the features, you know, the, the features that you want in the report later, but understanding why this would be useful. Like, what are those success points? Yes. Why is this a win? You know, and again, it's what, what are you using this for? Or not even what are you using this report for? But like, what is going to be the point of this and being able to have that discussion before you even start building yeah, is wh- one, I think also empowers the users too. So yeah,
1: Totally agree. And and one thing, like I, I might be nitpicking on a word you're saying, Tommy, but when, when having these conversations, we should never be talking about features. Like, if, yeah. if if you're asking the question, what feature do you want in your report? That's the wrong thing to ask any audience. Well, like, I think I think for I think in these conversations, like, you, you set a stage. And then the I would I would argue the vast majority of end consumers are used to seeing current state things. like uh, yes. show me show me like the top this. Yep. show me that. yep. and and starting with the baseline of okay, I understand like here's here's what you need to see. Here's what you can do, right? Like here's my other thoughts around the data and and what you're telling me is important. And this is why it's really under uh, important to like I call it empathy, but it's a use case. understanding their use case. Is you can then elevate the the solution by saying, well, you know, in in Mike's case, well, you're you're asking for the top ten book sales, but if we also show you the top the bottom sales, like, w- isn't that helpful from a like where where you want to improve, um, Im- improve on on sales in in your worst performing, and then it elicits the conversation. Well, yeah, that's relevant, but this metric of you know, volume is really important for us because we don't care about just the the lowest sales. It mm-hmm. would be impacted by volume yeah. and you could say, yeah, that's actually a really good point. so we'll we'll build that into your lowest performing, you know, but higher volume segmented thing and you'll blow their mind.'re like, you can do that. yep, yes, we can do that, right? And yeah. then like through those conversations of solving more business problems, you're introducing more, higher level techniques of of introducing new features within Power BI, of you know, just leveraging this lexicon of all of the capabilities we have, but you're you're doing that in the lens of solving the additional harder business problems that people I I think in large part are completely unaware of. Man, that's there's, there's so there's so many I thought this was going to be kind of
0: a wash of a uh every time we do this one, we've hit the mark, right? It's we've gotten over the 30 minute mark. And there is a lot of rich conversation happening. And this is like really good stuff. I really like this moving away from the tech, like we're your comment there, Seth, made me think around like we're weaving a data story. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to help the end user fabricate what their data story is looking like. I like that. I, and I do think yeah. another point I wanted to make here was there are definitely... There are different types of reports for different types of users and i've i've had an engaging talk on this before where we talk about kind of like at the executive vp maybe even director level you don't give a lot of features it's it's basically i need to show up look at a page and know what i need to do you know we're looking to make things go up or down red or green it's kind of a single pane of glass i'm not expecting uh users to really like use all the power bi features now there may be, this is a very broad generalization, but there are users at that top level that really do want to dive into data, go to see the details of things, really be able to go into the information. And I've seen people like that, so that it does happen. But from a know your audience standpoint, my, my general feeling is when we get to those executive level leaders, it's got to be simple. It's got to look good. It's got to be clear. There's only a couple of things that I'm interested in and I'm going to wake up in the morning, or I'm going to go at my computer, I'm going to glance at a couple of pages, boom, 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 yeah, it looks good, move on. And so when we start talking about other individuals, like the the, the information worker or the analyst, they're much more comfortable with having a lot more visuals on the page, right? Um, and I'm going to go back to that executive level person, right? We, we, a lot of things are like, do I need to take action on stuff? You know, show me red or greens. Sales are good. Sales are not good. We're on track. We're not on track. Goal, we're, we're meeting our goals. We're not meeting our goals. It needs yep. to be kind of like polarizing kind of things so that they can make a decision on it so they can say, okay, we need to stop doing whatever we were doing and, and focus on X, Y, Z or uh, you know, figure out why we lost these large accounts. We need to do some investigation on that so we can retain the, the amount of sales or goals we have for the company.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, you know, if you rearrange, like, in order, the, uh, I guess the the easiest easiest group to interact with versus the hardest, I think it goes like, um, the the analyst or data worker because they understand the data structures and you can use a lot of the same vernacular that yep. you normally do. Like, right? They under they get how you would go build things out, and it, it's just an easy conversation. Yep. Then information worker. Then you go into, um, you know, managers or, or you know, yep. mid-level management yep. sales, I think is, a, is challenging because a lot of the times they do need some harder calculations or higher level things, but don't have any understanding of the data. And then I think the hardest is executive because those are the, the metrics that need to be well-defined and are big roll-ups and KPIs yes. more often than not. That have a lot of business logic underneath the, the covers that yep. has to be all in line, and and you you have to do a lot of piecing of of things together, you know, on the back end in a very technical nature to produce that that single thing yeah. for them that that they they are tracking.
0: I was just describing this exact same thing in my business. I I so I'm I'm you know the owner of the business right. I look at different metrics at a much higher level than everyone else yeah. does in the in the company. So the managers of people. Look at something different than than the workers of the people right so if i'm if again from a consulting perspective right the the worker the person doing the executing out the work they're focused on what tasks do i have how many hours have i consumed to make sure i'm meeting my goals the manager level is worried about his level of hours and everyone underneath of them that they're managing their hours to the right degree me i'm worried about everything i'm worried about the money coming in i'm worried about the money going out I'm worried about the hours for every single person across the entire company. And so for me, I need much more aggregated, quick looks at dashboards. I don't have a lot of time to really drive into that. And so I think the further up you go, you have to do a better job of simplifying and making the story clearer, the higher up the organization that you go. That's just a very broad generalization that I've got there. And Dan Dan Meisner has been like so, hot yeah, on the ripping, chat man ripping
1: ripping this one up today. He's, um, he's chatting some I, good stuff in there. The, before before we wrap up, I want to I want to go back twenty minutes to a a, a segue real quick because it's an encouragement thing. There's a, You were talking about how you're seeing a lot of information workers going into this class where they're learning SQL and, yeah. and engaging in larger data sets. I think so. What I, w- what I would like to do is just uh, encourage the audience. If that is your, position, like if you're an information worker, you're a heavy Excel person. Mm-hmm. I've been reading or listening to this book called Deep Work by Cal Newport recently. And it, it's talking, we've talked at length, even within the last five years of how fast data... Um, sizes are growing within organizations and the amount of information organizations can consume and store at a at a reasonable cost right yeah and the it is extremely important for the general information worker to start to build into their um, repertoire of skills a a language or something that allows them to query large sets of data. Because it's not going to like in order to continue to provide value to an organization, like you're going to need at in, in very short hmm. period of time here, the ability to query or understand how to access and generate these data sets because they're not going to be able to be exported in Excel and you rip it apart from there. Yeah, you're going to need to go pull the information out of a much larger data set. Aggregate it at at two CDI aggregations. Right. It yeah. doesn't mean you need to be a rock star, nope. but yep. like you will definitely need his point in there, and I agree with is you definitely need to build some set of skills where you're you're comfortable extracting and filtering pre-filtering data sets before you know to analyze and work with, and that's why Power BI is just a fantastic tool. Oh, it's as crushing far as it! That, that engages, right? Yeah, it allows us to do that to the lay user, but there's that in between layer where people who are dealing with data on a, a large, large basis, um, highly encourage them to to look into the market and figure out maybe it's Python, maybe it's SQL. But you know, me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: lean on this though, Seth. I mean, you know it. I know it. We've had people talk talk tell us it's not SQL runs the world. Seq, mm-hmm. se- the SQL language, whether you're not, you're whether, modified, yeah. whether you're in Oracle, whether you're in Databricks, when you're in big data, doesn't matter where you are. If you don't know SQL, you're you're not going to be able to do well with data. And everything that I see is wherever SQL is being put in place, people like that kind of experience. It's it's yes, it's you have to learn it. It's definitely a learning curve to get going there. But yeah. it's being placed everywhere you think of. And I'm even thinking about like Power Query and query folding, right? Power Query, even though it's a a a GUI, it's a user interface that's visual, it still writes SQL on the back end to query fold things back into the source systems. So I I think about this going wow, this is SQL has becoming for me, it's very universal for what what I do my work with and I think that's a a super strong point and uh, I would highly recommend taking some time, learning some deeper things about SQL and also see if I can dig up that that, uh, UWM SQL class because I've I've heard good things from it. Let's see if I can get that chat that link here in the chat uh, window here. Ah, I've got it here. So it's a uh, just a general introduction class. It's an all online class, I believe, where they you walk through and start learning some basics of SQL. Tommy, you've been very quiet.
2: <laughs> did <laughs> that, we just steam you? Did we first. just roll you over, Tommy? Is you just I'm, steam you? This is one of those I'm probably going to be thinking about for. <laughs> uh, quite a bit oh man just deep this, in thought i don't know man this Did- is one of those that as you continue to kind of work on the communication skills you work on i think a lot of things we said too is the experience that you have your ability to actually talk like the business yes and then uh, i think at the end of the day it's always funny where I remember Seth from a previous episode was saying where they're like, all I would love is if there's a pie chart and you did it like in real time. And a lot of the things that we can do for people, if we know what they are looking for, it's, it's almost too easy, but it's almost harder to really get those requirements exactly what they want. So it's a report. That's not a one and done. That is something that can, they can actually look, go back to and view. So um i want to that's a good point
0: tommy and i want to you had a question here earlier and i wanted to kind of tease out my thoughts on how this question was posed and and talk through the insight here so one one of the items here was um i think one of the insights you were looking for going back to talking about the book sales right what are the distributions of book sales for my corporate accounts when i hear that kind of question other things i would be thinking about is do you want to only see this for corporate accounts or would you wanna see this for corporate accounts and other types of accounts? The answer is, again, I'm interpreting here. The answer is probably yes, but also depending on what the data is doing, the corporate accounts probably are the largest sellers or largest consumers of those products. So you know, maybe maybe you need, like in this case, maybe you just say, I'll just show you the, the distribution of book sales and give you a slicer for the different types of accounts. So you can go in and look at corporate or personal or whatever other account types you have in there, educational, whatever that may be, you'd have different distributions and you could look at it. You try, I try and add like, you asked for this little insight, but that's a very small window of the whole world of data that we have. I try and give them options to say here, here's a filter that lets you see this data in a specific way.
2: Well, I don't know if there's a blog post or a template here, but.
0: There's definitely some kind of like checklist. I think there's a lot of, I've, I've taken a lot of good notes. I think some, so for me, some of the key takeaways here for me are kind of around, I think Seth's comments around simplifying the tool into easy to consume, understandable terms is going to be pivotal the higher up you go in an organization. Right. I'm not going to talk about drill through. I'm not going to talk about uh, specific features of Power BI. I'm going to say, do you want to see the details? I'm going to focus on the story of the data and driving for that action thing. And that, thats one I think that would be a good implementer for me out of this one. Anything for you, Seth? As a final wrap-up thought?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. You know, um, hone. <laughs> what hon- Mike said. I agree with myself. I agree with myself. <laughs> <laughs> you better i think the best thing we could do is in as we've been wrapping up i've been thinking about it i i think it's important we're we're a we're in a unique spot like because we have a foot in engineering and we have a foot in the business and a lot of people who know power bi are you know from the business or whatnot right but you understand both of these worlds and if you don't the best thing you can do is hone your skills in framing how you communicate with the business regardless because any one of these groups if you don't use the technical jargon, um, you're going to be much more effective in getting to the heart of what they they want and need. And it's not necessarily like the want part. It's let's frame everything in the uh, context of what problems we're solving. What are the really key yeah. important metrics? How are you going to engage with it on a daily basis? And what decisions are you making? And then move on from there, right? And, and like that, and do it in digestible ways. Yeah. Tommy, any kind of final thoughts, wrap ups for you?
2: Honestly, I I think the biggest thing is try try to understand the way people are. Like, um, I think one of the best things that my um, my boss told me a, a while back that I really stayed true is try to understand what someone's going to ask before they ask it.
0: Don't ask and questions you do. don't know the answer to.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah. So, so sure. <laughs>
1: like that. Oh, no, a- ask all the cold All, all the would, questions. I'd say the reverse of that. Ask all the questions you don't know the answers to because that's the only way you're going to be able to Learn understand Empathy. whether or not, you know, you're on. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think with
0: that we've kind of wrapped up a full hour of randoming. Uh Dan says it best. He goes, "Man, I look at your topics and think, how the heck are we going to mm-hmm. fill 30 minutes with this dumb topic?" And then here we are, 8:30 rolls right past and we are filled up a full hour. So, great topic, good discussion. I really appreciate you guys. Gave me lots of food for thought here. Um our only ask if you love the podcast or don't love the podcast or you know think it stinks. Uh, you're more than welcome. Please just share it with somebody else. Uh, we, we we appreciate the uh, the word of mouth. Uh, let someone else know that you found some value from it, and uh, let uh, somebody else know that you found this either entertaining and or was able to gain some knowledge around Power BI. Tommy, where can you find the podcast?
2: You can find the podcast anywhere they're available on Apple and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe, and you can uh view all our previous episodes uh episodes come on every tuesday and thursday if you want to join the conversation live you can do so uh just subscribe to power bi tips on youtube and linkedin
0: awesome well thank you all very much appreciate it and we'll see you next week on tuesday